This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the Dallas Cowboys. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by a full house here today. We've got Evan Grant. Say hello, Evan. Hello. And we've got David Moore. Hi, David. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Evan. Or Evan and Kevin. Evan and Kevin. David, hello to you. It's 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 nice to be with you, David. You as well. <laughs> you have a good trip to Hill Country? God, it's so clever. We did. That we did. was two weeks ago. Yeah, we, we talked well, about it. Well, that doesn't mean you can't still have a good trip. Uh, you didn't talk about all the trip. Did we talk about my trip to Graham? William Chris. Did you, you liked William Chris? I liked William nice Chris. Yes, I, I did. We actually bought a bottle of wine there. Ah, what I didn't buy a case, but we bought a bottle. It's uh Kind of a Bordeaux blend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very nice. Maybe a little Mouvet? No. Okay. No, we didn't have Are any. You guys did, you, did you get a Mouvet in Graham when you went? I went to a wine tasting in Graham. No, you didn't because you don't taste wine. I, I don't, but I went. My wife does. So <laughs> So you just go and watch her drink? No, no. I did have a little bit. Okay. Yeah. And? It was nice. It was nice. And we bought a case for some of Debbie's customers. One case. Of customers. case. Well, somebody here... Obviously got a salary adjustment. <laughs> and I'm sorry, I didn't tell you about that, did I? No. Oh, gosh. It's a I little s- better there, buddy. I, okay? said, I said to Mike Wilson, listen, 75%. <laughs> listen, that's how you said it. 75% is a little much, Mike. I'll just take 50. So I want to think of the little people that work with me. That's right, the very little people. <laughs> um, Small, I like to call them. Speaking of little people, do we want to talk about the Cowboys, or what do we want to talk about? Are you on? calling the Cowboys little people? Yes. You can call them that to their faces and no, watch them stomp you will, into a... I will run away like a scared <laughs> rabbit. <laughs> yes, you will. So would I. All right, so the Cowboys, uh, they've got uh, a new coach. <laughs> okay okay you jumped me for asking him about a trip he took 10 days ago but let's now you're bringing up hey they got a new coach before yeah. everybody realizes that we're highly unprepared today let's um <laughs> let's let's just go here i want to be the first guy to admit that uh, i believe that um at about seven and one uh, I looked at the 49ers and I said, oh, my God, their schedule is so hard. There's no way they're going to keep this up. Cowboys could still catch them for home field advantage. So football expert Evan Grant strikes again. The 49ers are in the Super Bowl. Uh, did you see this coming, David? I believe even around Thanksgiving I was saying, I don't think the Cowboys have much of a shot even if they do win this division, at which point I still thought they would win the division and host a first-round game. But, you know what? Let's see what they can do against San Francisco, because I think that's probably their best matchup. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not. And that you? 
Oh, and I did pick New Orleans to go to the Super Bowl, in case anyone was wondering. I did, too. <laughs> and, and you over there? Me over here. The, the uh, team, we're talking about the NFL, what? the AFC and the NFC, not the what? NFL versus the AFL. No, that's all. <laughs> they merged. I know. Yeah. Um, I did not, you know, San Francisco is the surprise team of the of the league this year. No, no one saw this coming. You know, I think that people thought that their defense would be good, but that they're, but you know, maybe pretty good because obviously they'd invested a lot in it. Yeah, four uh, wins to a Super Bowl doesn't happen a whole lot. No, <laughs> Which, but, but it does say everything about though the NFL. It's a year to year league. Well, not only that, look at the NFC Championship game. You look at San Francisco and Green Bay combined to win ten games last year. Yeah. So your two NFC finalists won a combined ten games. So, and again, that's the issue the the Cowboys have had that all of these other teams have been jumping up from non playoff performances and getting to the NFC Championship game or Super Bowl when they have not. You know, but before this year, Dallas, the only team in the NFC in a five year span that had a better record than Dallas was Seattle in the regular season. But five different NFC teams jumped up and went to the Super Bowl in that span, and none were the Cowboys. So th- that's what's happening. Other teams are coming from you know four wins, six wins, eight wins, jumping up and winning the NFC uh, and going to the Super Bowl. And Dallas just hasn't been among that group, even though their regular season record would indicate at least one of those but there eight to ten years they there, should have gotten through. There haven't been a whole lot of – Four and twelve, or no. This is only the third time in NFL history that a a team that won four games went to the Super Bowl the next. But uh, from from the Cowboys' perspective, I'm saying there haven't been a lot of four and twelve years. Well, for the Cowboys in general, there was true. Well, they were yeah. They went from twelve and four to four and twelve, not the other way around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I will say this: so clearly, the Packers just had to get rid of that head coach. So that bodes well for the Cowboys. Well, what about that NFC Championship game? What do you think of that? I'm making a joke Are about you my – you think okay? of that 24-0 deficit? Or the, the Packers uh, got rid of a head coach that the Cowboys thought is their answer. Yes. So that, that's, there's always a little irony involved in these coaching decisions in my mind. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how that all works out. Um, I, I, but, I you think, know, that's not the coach that took the Packers to the uh, NFC Championship game. That's, that was my point. It was a joke. Yeah, okay. It was a joke, Evan. <laughs> Uh, the, the point about these, these, uh, these teams is that I get people writing me and telling me, Oh, see, this is what you have to have now is this before, before the Titans lost, they said that I have one guy writes me all the time complaining about a quarterback, the, the Cowboys quarterback. And he said, see, you just have to re- rely on your running game. And it's like, I said, no, you, you, you simply cannot make that generalization. You know, I, every you know, if this is what your your team does, and this is what uh, you, you know your offense does best, then good for you. You know, but it doesn't mean it's best for everybody. You know, it was working really well with Derrick Henry for a while, and then eventually, you know, Ryan Tannehill catches up with him. You know, he's just not quite good enough. You know, and I'm I'm watching him go through his progressions, and you know, you you're you're watching the game on TV. You don't get to see the all twenty two. You don't get to see what's going mm-hmm. on in the secondary. But you know, I'm thinking. I'm sure people would say, "Oh, he's not. Uh, he's not finding these people." I'm sure what's going through Ryan Tannehill's uh, mind, as opposed to a guy like uh, Patrick Mahomes, is that I can't make this throw. You know, this guy's a little bit open. I can't make that throw. I'm not throwing it. You know, whereas Patrick Mahomes is saying, "Yeah, sure. What the heck? I, well, yeah, I, he makes throws no one else's. He makes no one, and, and yeah. that's and that's what he gives you. That's that's sure. that's the difference. Is that 
that this guy can make any play he wants to make at any given time. And so it gives him confidence. It gives the offense confidence. And meanwhile, that that's you know that's that's the difference between guys as you go down the the spectrum of, of quarterbacks in particular is that you know when your guy can't make plays like that when he, he can't make plays out of nothing when he can't make a a, a, a play that's really difficult uh, if he's just a if he's just a bus driver then it puts a lot of pressure on the rest of your team to do everything right. You know, you, you know, we haven't heard, you know, the phrase we haven't heard a lot of the last couple of years, I think really since Joe Flacco <laughs> took the Ravens to a Super Bowl, we haven't heard the words game manager. It's not about being a game manager anymore. It's about making plays. Well, there have been more guys that have been really the, the NFL's top-level quarterbacks getting to the, to the playoffs, you know. And you got uh, – so so now uh, this time it, it's Jimmy Garoppolo. Is he that kind of quarterback? Uh, he's, I'd say he's better than a game manager, but I wouldn't say he was a lot better. Um, there's still questions about it. I mean, again, when a guy throws eight times in a championship game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you're going, he's going to throw more than eight times in the Super Bowl if they're going to win. So you have sure. to – um, their running game, I, I I guess I haven't watched the 49ers play enough. Those guys are fast. You know, their backfield is fast. I mean, when they're making plays, they are flying down the field. And I and I just, you know, that's another thing about Well, and they lost Kevin Coleman <laughs> yeah, in the game, too. Absolutely. They had the rotation they normally have. And it was and it was still unbelievable how fast they are. Yeah. And, and Tevin Coleman's very fast running back. Very powerful line. Yeah, I, I'm just struck by, you know, last year after the – and again, it was a wonderful game, but it was it was the uh, the Rams and Chiefs last year that fifty four fifty one game, and everyone was writing and talking about, oh, this ushers in a new NFL era. Uh, all teams are going to be this. This is the way the NFL is going. And my point is, no, <laughs> you know, one, you have to have a quarterback who can do that, and two, you have to have offensive coaches who are versed in that scheme and are willing to sacrifice some defensive principles in order for you to get there. And there aren't that many offensive coaches with that bent in the NFL population at the moment. And and you just have to be able to be built for that. And it's going to take time. And uh, I, I do believe you can build quicker that way than building a really good running team because there are more components that you need and fewer components out there that really fit. But, uh, so, but but what everyone was talking last year, but well, this this trend is inexorable now. It's going in this direction. Nothing's going to stop it. This is the new NFL. And look at your four teams in the championship game. Two of them were clearly old style offenses. Yeah. In, in Tennessee and San Francisco. Right. And so it just reinforces you can get there either way, but you have to have the talent and you have to be committed to your scheme and mm-hmm. your approach and. I think too often this year, the Cowboys weren't. You didn't know they they recognized they needed to improve as a passing team, but improving as a passing team, they got away from what they did well as a running team, and and one didn't complement the other. One came at the expense of the other, and mm-hmm. that's what you have to determine. You have to determine your offensive identity and just execute it all the way through. And that's what San Francisco did. Uh, and that's what Tennessee did. And one of those two teams got, got all the way to the champ, uh, in a, you know, Super Bowl. Uh, to me, the, the thing, the issue for the Cowboys, and, and I never complained about, you know, are you, if you want to run, you want to 
you know, whatever you want to do, you, you do sure. what fits it. Just do it well. Well, yeah. do it well, but also you have to be balanced, and yes. and and you have to be able to do both things. And uh, and 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 of course that goes back to the old issue of being you know fifty fifty or close to it on first down. Yeah. Just don't let people always know what you're going to do. Sure. Look at what the Tennessee did uh, in the. I can't remember who it was against, but I remember they they get down to the. It was two weeks ago. They get down to the goal line, and what do they have? Derrick Henry do instead of just handing him yeah. the ball and plowing into the line again, it was a Baltimore game, which is yeah. not a bad idea because he's so big uh, pass. <laughs> but the jump pass you know and you're not asking derrick henry to do something outrageous here you're just asking him just here just lob this ball up over over the line here that's all we're not asking you to roll out and do something mm-hmm. crazy but we're, we're going to have you do this and that's just enough of what you have to do it's amazing when you go back and look at a game there are three or four times in a game three or four plays in most games when it's a close loss, where you can say, yeah, if we'd have gotten this here, if we got that there, then that would have changed everything. And and I think that's what uh, sometimes you know we we get lost on a little bit is here is that when when we when I have said in particular that Dak Prescott needs to run the ball more often. You know, I'm not talking about him running the ball 15 times a game. I'm talking about seven eight times a game that that when there are times when a play breaks down and then and then he needs to go. You know, and he needs to do this. I think. It, I think it. Uh, you know, it it fires him up. I think it fires up his teammates, and I think that that it introduces uh, an element here that yeah. And obviously, teams he, prepare for the fact that he's going to run, but he he doesn't like to. But he know. he just he just needs to move more. If the threat of sure. him running exists, it's going to cause some hesitation on the side of the defense. Sure. Um, I think this is what Mahomes does so well is he. There are times when he just has to create. Yeah, and he and rarely he runs. I yeah. mean, it, the last two games were, especially this last game, was highly unusual for him. Mm-hmm. But clearly, they were. You know, they went fine. We're gonna we're gonna let you run. Yeah. And okay. Then he, and then yeah. he runs for a touchdown, and it's an unbelievable run. Well, he's but, he's he's more talented. But I think with the, quarterback. I, I think we've said this about Dak for for a couple of years now, right? We we've said when he can when he moves out of the pocket a little bit. When he does add that element, whether it is a run by design or that he's just buying a little bit more time or trying to confuse the defense a little bit, I think it does make him that much more dynamic, and I think it does make the the, the offense that much more effective. But I I also think that this offense, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, David, by design, the offense has been, shall we say, inflexible. That it's, you know, this is what we do and this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it. And there's not a lot of room for deviation there. I, th- I think that was true up until this season. This season I was struck, just struck by the fact that they really wanted to open things up. And then once they opened things up, they lost their identity. You know, they... they uh, and again, I thought well, they... Once they opened things up, then it became, why aren't they running Zeke more, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but... But that was because they kind of drifted away and they had they, – they really became a feast or famine offense. I mean, they would, you know, they would score on three or four straight possessions or they would have a five-possession stretch where they'll go three and out three of the times and go five out, five and out the other two. And it was – Or mix in a couple of Maher missed field goals. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, they were always more – they weren't as explosive, but they were more consistent when Elliott was a more – uh, was a more central figure. And, and you know, the other thing that struck me, too, is, it, and I thought, I gave them a lot of credit for this early in the season, of 
I thought one thing they did better than they had in previous years offensively was, you know what, if they hit a couple of passes or, or something was working in the passing game, they would throw six, seven, eight, nine times in a row to exploit that or, or keep that going, which they, in the past, they hadn't done that much. They would come across something and then go back, kind of settle back in. Or if they, or, or the other side of it is if, if, if Elliott had a little stretch, they would run him like five or six straight times. Um, but as the season went along, that stopped. I mean, it was, um, it, it was odd. There was just a, there was a start and stop aspect to their offense for most of the season. And I think that's because uh, they couldn't really figure, like I said, again, I think the best way to say it is in the past, even though it was a different level, I always thought the the run and the pass supported uh, the other in, in the Cowboys offense. Now you could argue with to what level they were passing, were they passing enough, were they too reliant on the run, but, but I always thought, you know, one enhanced the other. Uh, this year, one came at the expense of the other. I mean, if they were determined to run, they would run. But then their passing game was was really inconsistent. So why is but that? But if they were passing well, they, they just got away from the run. So so why is that? I think some of that was a first-year play caller. You know, I, I, I think... Uh, is that... And overall, I think he did a very good job. But I, I think, uh, you know, I do think it's a little bit natural... When you're trying to emphasize something, you lose a little bit of the other. And and I think in emphasizing uh, the passing game in this offseason, pass protection by the offensive line, uh, everything else, I think maybe their their run game dominance, they lost that a little bit. Um, you know, I don't think you should underplay the fact that Ezekiel Elliott did not take a single snap in training camp and just shows up uh, before week one. So what you're doing for three and a half weeks in training camp is reinforcing the pass, which you were, which was an emphasis anyway. But now you don't have Elliott, so you just go, I oh, will just plug Elliott in when he gets back here. Uh, well, you plugged him in. You saw what the passing game was early, and then you kind of tried to bring it back to the run, and they you just never they just never found a good balance this year. So I think some of that was. Uh, uh, first-year play caller. I think uh, uh, some of that was Elliott not being around in training camp and um, just a a minimal erosion in uh, what had been their strength, the run game. And then, I mean, how many times did they have a, a third and one, third and two, and ran it, and, and they weren't successful? And those were automatic in past years, even when the offense wasn't going that well. You know, I'll be interested to see in training camp um, – you know what Mike McCarthy does, you know, because there's the question of his commitment to the run and because sure. of what they and did rightfully so. in Green Bay. Um, and, and I got to tell you, you know, I, I know we, we say this is their identity, but Zeke wasn't very good this year, you know, and whether that was the offensive line, whether that was Zeke, uh, I thought he looked a little sluggish. Uh, I, I thought he lacked a burst. Uh, you know, we wrote about that, about the, the, the lack of – of 20-plus runs, you know, 20-plus uh, yard runs uh, this year, way down from what had been in the past. Um, you know, I think at the very least, in this training camp, I'm, I'm playing Zeke in the, in, the, uh, in the preseason games. Sure. You know, I, and, I'm, and I'm getting him out there for a few runs, and let's make sure he's in shape, first of all. Let's make sure he's ready to play. You paid this guy a lot of money, and they've, they babied him a little bit in training camps to keep him healthy and keep from getting the injuries, and then you get into the season. And how many times now in a short career have we said, well, he looks a little 
little overweight. He looks a little uh, out of shape. He looks like he's, you know, there are too many times you watch these games, and that's a little bit of what I'm talking about, the, the 49er games, and you watch running backs, and, and we all talk about patience and what, what great patience this guy has. He's waiting for the hole to develop, you know, and, and that's and that's all great. But sometimes you just want to see a guy busted up in there yeah. a little bit. But then hit the hole and go. Hit the and hole that's and go. What, that's what Henry did. That's what Mostert oh, did. I absolutely. Mean, once they saw it and they hit it, Boom! They're gone. They're gone, and and uh, and you know, and Zeke's a load. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's hard to tackle, yes, and he he, e- even when he's this year, you watch him, and of course, that's the great thing about Zeke. He has that. That's the quality he shares with Emmett Smith. That when they're going down, they are con- they were certainly Emmett did this, and then Zeke does it now. They're going to get another yard yeah. or yard and a half just going down. Yeah. You know, and and that's a great quality. That's you know, that's not to be. You know, understated in any case, but you don't see him stood up or going east west too often when he's getting tackled. No, and, and that's and that, that's what coaches love about him is, mm-hmm. is that element of it. You know, and he, teammates love that too. Yeah, he yeah. understands he understands that part. But there's just too many times when you watch Zeke run. There's no hole here. Uh, okay, and he, and he kind of just leans into the line and leans into the hole, and and yeah. he, and then he you know he he goes down hard from that point. But he's not. He is not really. Uh, he, he doesn't. It doesn't feel a hundred percent. And he I think that's find small holes. No, he he, he, he doesn't find smaller holes this year. I think the offensive line was inconsistent this yeah, year. I, I, I think they were. I think they had dominant games, but then you'd come back the next game and you're going. Yeah, there what's was going on here. There's way too much. The, the, the offensive line was like that all year long. There was yeah. there were games when they were looked really good and games just when they didn't. How how is that possible? I mean, obviously the quality of the defensive lines you're working against is going to have a, be a factor in that. But uh, you know, there were things that and let's look across the board here. That, you know, Jason Witten's return didn't work out. You know. He wasn't he wasn't the player he used to be, and not and of course his yards after catch as a receiver that had been going downhill. Uh, he looked lost a few times on balls that were thrown to him. I don't and, and uh, according to our uh, our film studies major John Owning, uh, his his blocking wasn't as good as it has been before. So you know it'll be interesting to me to see what they add to this team, and that's something I want to now want to veer towards that because this is what Calvin Watkins wrote for today, talking about. Uh, uh, Mike McCarthy and what he looks for and what they're going to do here and with personnel. Do you, you know, as far as adding personnel, drafting, signing free agents, whatever, and the, and the, of course the constant, you know, and, and rightfully so. What are you going to run? You're going to run a three four. You're going to run a four three. Yeah. That's those are two different things. Uh, and of course, what everybody will tell you now is that you, you run a base defense in the NFL, and there's you still have other packages, and you're still going to get out of that, and you're not always going to run that. But there is a big difference. In my mind, uh, when you have a, a three-four and and ha- and having you know Demarcus Lawrence, who is a classic four-three defensive mm-hmm. end, you know he's not a guy who's going. You don't want to drop him into coverage. Yeah. You know that's not who he is. Uh, this is not, he's not Demarcus Ware. You know, uh, and, and I, I just don't know. Um, uh, I, well, I'm interested to see what he does. I was I was encouraged by what McCarthy said. I like the idea that we're going to get the talent that we have, and we're not going to we're not going to force it on anything. That was a you know when I was covering college football in the eighties, I remember you know one of the things I would look at coaches like I, I covered Bill Yeoman in Houston, and and he was looking for a specific kind of quarterback, right? Because he runs the veer, he's the guy who invented the veer offense. So I'm looking for this specific kind of quarterback. Whereas Bobby Collins at SMU, when he had a, he also ran an option offense, 
But if he had a quarterback who could throw it a little better, they would throw it more that year. If the guy wasn't as good at that, but he was really good at actually just running the option, then, then they ran it more and they he relied more on his, his running game than he normally would. I, and I and to me, I appreciated that more. That let's let's go with the talent you have. Let's not try to force a square peg into a round hole here. Let's let's do what's best with this personnel that you have, especially if it's elite level talent, or you think it is. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, he said they would. McCarthy last week we had a session with him, and and he said that they would still be a four man defensive front, but they're a sub package defense eighty five percent of the time. Yeah, and uh, which most teams are in the league now, and 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 he talked about uh, again you. You have a scheme, but uh, you get the player based on talent and then find a spot for him. And the the way I took that was, potentially was, let's just go back a couple of years in the draft where the Cowboys took Taco Charlton because he was a 4-3 exactly. uh, defensive end over Watt, uh, the, the younger Watt. T.J. Watt. Yeah, T.J. Watt, even though... Uh, Watt's more of a 3-4 guy. Uh, Taco is more of a 4-3 guy. He's more of a linebacker. So even though even though it was, well, you know what? Watt's a little more talented here. He has more of an upside. They're pretty close. Taco fits what our scheme. We like the size. The prototype size is good. So l- let's go with that. You got the impression. Now, again, you never know until you get into specific you know, instances, but you got the impression from how McCarthy phrased it. Well, no, if, if, you know, if, if Watts, the more talented guy, and, and, and the reason I say this is Clay Matthews. Clay Matthews is a guy who, um, you know, I, I think was taken as one thing and wound up as something different when they found out what he was in Green Bay. So, yeah, that's a good example. Um, you know, I, I think. Uh, just based on that comment that they'll be a little more receptive and they'll also be a little more receptive to, well, look, you know, we're not going to like totally ignore, we're not going to weigh our system so much where uh, a one-gap defensive tackle and a safety have virtually no value on our defense or they're down at the bottom and we're going to go with free agents. If we have this guy and he's a highly graded safety and he he's has a grade above uh you know defensive ends and linebackers at that spot why wouldn't we take him and fit him in here we just want ball players and so um you know under Marinelli I think they just had this such a weighted system where they ignored really good big physical run stopping defensive tackles and safeties they just shuffled them so far down on the on the grade scale that you never saw them take them. I think I get the sense that will be different this year. It's a little early to say for sure it will be, but I get the sense that it's like, well, look, maybe one reason we haven't had turnovers because we can't, we don't draft anybody who gets turnovers because they're safety. So, well, I think that, and I think the teacher. I'm glad you brought that up because I was thinking that right before you said his name, and uh, and that's a perfect example. Because look, I fell into that same thing. When they didn't, t- when they took Taco Charlton instead of T.J. Watt, yeah. first of all, I thought it was a good move for advertising purposes. Yeah, you know, Taco <laughs> Charlton. 
you know, get your taco. And it was. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Uh, it's but the most well, rare times. It's so well that if, Taco Bueno yeah. and Taco Cabana are apparently closing stores <laughs> left and right. That's right. I was going to say, if you only want to eat tacos once or twice a year, that's right. When he gets he was, a sack, he was a very good. Thing. I'm blaming him. I'm blaming him for the demise of those franchises. <laughs> uh, but but the thing was, but here was what was so stupid that I didn't even think about. What was the difference in size between Randy Gregory and T.J. Watt? Yeah. It's barely decipherable, it's the difference, yeah. you know, in their sizes. You know, Randy's a really rangy kind of guy, not a heavy kid at all. He's like 255, somewhere in in there. You know, it's not like he was a load. And uh, and I think, you know, a little bit of the Tristan Hill pick. Oh, this is why we take him instead of a safety. We, You know, you just can't. Yeah. These defensive lines. Instead of Thornhill or, yeah. Yeah, and, and listen, I, I'm a big believer that uh, quality defensive linemen, you know, are – Outside of a quarterback, or probably in a cornerback, the, the most the the, uh, the best thing you can have, the hardest thing to find. The thing is, it's hard to find quality ones. Well, and you could took a guy who wasn't even starting in college. Oh, well, that, and listen, <laughs> I want to say this: I was on record saying this is a bad idea. Well, we, we a lot talk, of people wondered about this. They, yeah. they talked about the fact that it wasn't just the listen. Two coaching staffs gave up on that kid. Two, yeah. you know, they had problems with him all the way through college. You know, and then that's this is going to be your top pick. That was, you know, that was a that was bad. There were there were other in your and you're right. There was the in the in the Rod Marinelli's defense. There were certain three key guys that he felt like you had to have to really make it in the NFL. And and, and when you're drafting that way, that is exactly right. It goes to me. It goes back to the the draft where we like, the Cowboys took Leighton Vander Esch and Derwin James was falling. You know, yeah. slipping out out of the top ten picks. He he goes seventeen to San Diego, and he's an immediately impact player. Now I'm not saying that Leighton Vanderish wasn't a good pick. He was a good pick as long as he could stay healthy. You well, know. First year was outstanding, but now you have an issue that's going to you have to monitor for the remainder of his career. Absolutely, and and uh, and this is something that apparently that everybody that took knew him about. off a few boards. Yeah. yeah, people took him off the boards because of that. So you're taking a guy. Very with, few. Most teams had him on their board, and they had him in that spot, but. But those teams are right now, aren't yeah. they? <laughs> it appears. Yeah, yeah because because here's the thing: if I got to worry about this guy, it doesn't matter how well he. Now you have played. to use another high pick to give yourself insurance in Ab- case something, ha- or or spend money on the free agent market there to. to Absolutely, that spot. you do. So now, because to, to me, uh, not only was Derwin James supposed to be a top ten pick, he looks like a top ten mm-hmm. pick now. He got hurt this last year, but yeah. but when he was playing, he looked like a top five pick. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a difference maker back yeah. there in the sec. This is a guy. Who plays bigger than the position? And it's like Earl Thomas. You know, mm-hmm. he's a he is a Hall of Fame safety. This is a guy who, it, it, and when you add this kind of talent to your team, you just don't know what they're going to be able to do. To to it, it causes a greater. There's a ripple effect here across the team sure. of the splash this guy makes on your team. And what I took from McCarthy saying too is like we're going to be in sub package eighty five percent of the time, which is your. You're mixing and matching, and and you know the, these hybrid positions. Why wouldn't you want a safety who can basically play a linebacker in these sub packages? I mean, that's what safeties are doing. Right. So I mean, uh, it, it's just interesting where you, you came from a time where like Darren Woodson was kind of like you know he was a uh, played a lot of different ways and a linebacker in college and yeah and and Roy Williams too before the you know the rules changed I mean the 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 Cowboys have really gone on the other end of the spectrum defensively lately I think you'll see that swing back a little bit and they're just going to go look this guy's a really good player let's take him uh we'll make it work 
You know, we'll figure I, out a package I, to make I, it work. I'm, I'm a, on the field. I, I'm a big believer in in players. You you take a guy. This guy's a yeah, great so player. The last time a team ran coaches out there, they didn't do very well. So no. yes, you, players players. Were I'm a big good. believer that I'm a believer in players over over schemes. Absolutely. You know, I you know I don't care what kind of scheme you're running. Uh, but but I, the Cowboys, I don't know that they were draft. I I don't know that the Cowboys necessarily were drafting player or I, I guess uh, when it came to scheme they were drafting because every year they thought we're on the verge of going to the Super Bowl we're on the verge of going to the Super Bowl we need to plug this hole it wasn't necessarily a long-term fit with a lot of uh, I don't know I think they thought that Tristan Hill was a oh this is I think Taco Charlton was they was they were they, were, they were always looking for a guy who was versatile a guy who could play several positions in the defensive line and and you know to do that, then you got to be a certain type of guy to be sure. able to have those abilities. Whereas there are guys in this league who have who have made a living. Hey, he's not too good at this, but boy, he is really good at this. And, and yeah. he, he's a one trick pony, but he's, he does something really well. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that struck me too is uh, again a Marinelli scheme. It was always when he was most successful in Tampa. You had a uh, an outside double-digit rush guy, mm-hmm. and, and the guy at the three technique, uh, the tackle, was also a double-digit sack guy. So that is really what made his defense go, and he always right. told people that. Well, they had double-digit sack guys on the outside with, with Ware and then Lawrence coming in after that. But in his entire time here, out of that three technique, to really make the defense work the way he wanted, his first year here, Jason Hatcher got yeah. 11 sacks out of that three technique. And then left. They never had any defensive tackle have more than seven sacks the rest of his time here. Usually, the three technique was between three to five sacks. So you weren't applying the pressure. So so again, they kept saying they kept drafting to the scheme and couldn't get anybody to fit what he really needed to make his scheme work. And so now you're saying, well, they're not getting turnovers. Well, they're not getting turnovers because they're not getting pressure out of these two spots. Mm-hmm. And they're compensating it for it with the rotation, and they don't have any playmakers on the back end because they keep drafting to try to find someone to put into these spots up front, and they keep missing on Plus, you make the point that, uh, and I know you all have made this uh, on, on several occasions, you're rotating these guys so much. How good an idea is it to pay Demarcus Lawrence $100 million and he's playing on, you know, 60% of the snaps, you know? In the Philadelphia game, which determined the division winner and who was the, you know, who who won the division and who hosted the first-round game, Demarcus Lawrence, three defensive linemen played more snaps than Demarcus Lawrence in the Philadelphia game. Why? Yeah, that's just crazy. How do you explain that? That's just crazy. If, if the guy, you know, it goes back to that same thing with the Amari Cooper game where he was sitting on the sideline at the end of the game. Well, he, you know, if you think yeah. he wasn't playing well, you think he's hurt or whatever it is, you know, I, I would like to find out at some point was Amari Cooper playing hurt this season or not? Well, he had he had like five or six injuries, but late in the season he was, you know, I'll say this about Amari Cooper too. You look at his career this season, just kind of reinforced what his career was in Oakland. Well, a little and bit. And why part of the reason they were willing to let him go is like you would see this, you know, dominant performance in week three and then not see it again until week 10. Mm-hmm. And then you go, well, what happened in between? And part of him not being an ego-driven diva who demands the ball is when he's not getting the ball, it's like, 
well, okay, I have teammates. They're, you know, they deserve mm-hmm. the ball too. Right. And so there's kind of a balance. You don't want him to be that passive. You, you like the fact he's a good teammate, but when a player is that good, you don't really want him deferring to that level. Right. So you try to bring that up a little bit. or, But, but you know, temperamentally sometimes you can't. So you just have to put the player in the position where his performance demands that he does it. And, and again, you know, look, that – the Cowboys, when he was out on that play, were like, were, were, and I would say it's not even he, him who was out. Uh, you know, they they also took out Randall, Randall Cobb, Cobb too, yeah. who who was dominant in that fourth quarter, because the personnel grouping, because the defense they saw, the personnel group best used to exploit that, didn't include Amari mm-hmm. Cooper, or Randall Cobb. Well, then you better work. You know, <laughs> the play you call better work. Don't sit here and say. We're taking out two of our top three receivers to attack a defense because that's what the defense wants us to do and then not execute the play. But that goes back to what we were just talking about. We think as coaches yes. that our scheme is yes. better than exactly. our players. Exactly. And that we're going we're gonna to show you that we're going to win exactly. because we're such yes. geniuses back here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's so, – yeah. It doesn't matter the sport. That's the wrong way to go about it. You, 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 what you do is you take the talent – and you make your coaching scheme fit the talent. Yeah. Uh, it sure. doesn't matter if it's the NFL. It doesn't matter if it's basketball. You find what your players do well, and you use that yes. as an asset. Because because coaching That's how is all not going to make judged. a significant yeah. difference in a game uh, more than once or twice a year. And and I can see that rotation. If it's, if it's the first quarter of a game – and again, it doesn't have divisional implicate. I mean, I understand rotations. These guys are going to be rotated out at certain points of the game. But sometimes the magnitude of the moment dictates you have to coach differently. And in my mind, that's something Jason Garrett never did, and that's why he's not here. He didn't coach up to the magnitude of the moment. Every moment was the same. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I coached this way, and Look, there's you know, a, this is what we did in the second quarter there of is game a, two, and this is what I'm going to do in the fourth quarter of game 16 because this is how we got here. Well, no. <laughs> now that you're here, that doesn't mean you follow the same exact script. That's not coaching. Again, I'm not. I'm not sure how much – I buy in to win probability stats um, because I still think that I think they're why they're while they're a tool I don't know that they're the absolute derivative um, and there are times when you probably because you're a football guy because you you're you're seeing the conditions and and the fatigue of players and things like that I think there are times when you go against that but to not use that resource uh, is a mistake. And I think that uh, if you guys are, and I've never really considered it this deeply, but if you guys are are telling me that you feel like this staff uh, favored scheme over players, uh, that to me is the height of hubris for a coach. And uh, Jason Garrett can say he's going to maintain this all the way, but you can't. You can't say we're going to maintain one level of uh, not too high or not too low on one end, and then on the other, just believe in yourself over your players. I, I just I find that that's really disheartening to hear. Yeah, and, and, and the, the one other yeah. thing I want to say here too is there, there is a fine line, right, between 
between that guy who's an even keel guy all the sure. time uh-huh. and a guy who knows when to push the button. Yes. I don't want a guy losing his head on the sidelines. You don't want I an don't impulsive want guy. You don't want him, yeah. But I also don't want, and you know, I, I know this is the phrase that always got attached to Jason, I don't want a robot on the sidelines mm-hmm. either. I do want somebody who's going to be able to deviate from what he planned to do based on his instincts and the situation. I do need a guy who would occasionally momentum is 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 brief and it's yep. fleeting, but it's real. It's real. <laughs> and if you don't seize on that, exactly. then you've lost a, a, a giant opportunity. Um, and, and these are the things that that I think that we all feel like ultimately it's it's hard after a decade of a coach to 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 not have any real definitive evidence. But I think it all stands out. These are the things that were shortcomings. Well, I, I would ask, but what do you think? I'll ask you, what do you think his two best coaching jobs, seasons that stand out in your mind, or, or half seasons that Jason Garrett did as coach? Look, I, I mean, that was I, that was the giveaway when you said the half season. Yeah, the, the, the first, <laughs> the and, first and I would say the uh, which season was well, the it? Thirteen when they and lost three to the, to the Packers in the playoffs. Yeah. yeah, thirteen and three. Yeah, and when Dak Prescott, when they were going into that season with Tony Romo as the starting quarterback. And they didn't realize until week three of the preseason, when Tony Romo got hurt, that he wasn't going to be ready, and they were having they were going to have to go with Dak Prescott, and a running back they hadn't used before in Ezekiel Elliott, and the second half of 2017, 18, excuse me, when they got Amari Cooper, mm-hmm. it was. Circumstances were thrust upon him. Forced changes on the fly. Yeah. And he reacted in the moment, and it all made sense. And he, th- those are undoubtedly his two best coaching jobs in, in the time he was here. And, and what was the common denominator? He had a key player dropped into his lap that had an impact on things. And he, he had assessed kind of, that immediately, used it, and did it. But it was out of necessity. He had to kind of roll times. with it. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't what he had planned to get to. Right. And so he he could adapt, but I, I, to me that just that underscores more than anything that he was just so rigid going into every season because he was so analytical and planned it out all the way that he he planned. Uh, he he over schemed. I, I think that just plays to to that. He just over. I think that that uh, and 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 we we noted this before. Jason was always better with his back against the wall. I think and uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why Jerry let him go into this exactly season. Exactly why he did. Yeah, you know, it was like yeah, I'm, I'm going to see what you because I think that Jerry. But look, they're diminishing returns on that too, and I think we saw that this true. Year. But who who rolls the dice more than Jerry? Yeah. Jerry loves that. Sure, he loves the idea. That's just what he told Steve in, in the Johnny Manziel draft pick. Yeah. Something you can't always just hit it down the middle. Yeah. Jerry loves that, and 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 Jason's the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that as much as Jerry liked Jason. He wanted Jason to be in a position where, come on, take a chance here, do a little something like like you did in those positions, and and then those were great examples of of when Jason did react to a situation. And to me, well, and and one other would be when he went into the final year of his contract before, and they were twelve and four 
won the division and then lost on the catch, not catch by yeah, Daz and Green Bay. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think that to me, when you look at coaches, that's what I always enjoy the coach the most and watching them on the sideline. I can remember in the speaking of Roy Williams in the in the Superman play he made in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, the old con, but the state fair uh, against Texas, where he he just you know he he jumps over the line of scrimmage and disrupts mm-hmm. Chris Sims and, and makes him throw the interception. But in that game, that was in, in that particular moment, Mike Stoops runs down the sideline to Bob and says, "Hey, let's try this." And Bob goes, "Okay, let's do it." You know, and 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 I love that element of it, that aspect of it, where they were re- reacting to a certain position, a mm-hmm. time in this game where I really think this is going to work. Yeah. You know, and instead of saying, "Oh no, no, we didn't prepare for that," you know, that's not what we were doing here. We're this the our you know our, our script here says we're going to do this, and and this is what we're going to do out throughout the game, and we're not reacting to the to the play and in the moment. And I think to me that's. I, you know, you don't want a coach who's always flying by the seat of his pants. Nope, nobody wants that. No. But you, but you want a guy who's able to react to the situation and say, "I know we've been doing this, but this isn't working." Well, there's I, no I, way I, that Col- there is no way that San Francisco and Kyle Shanahan went into the NFC Championship oh, game, yeah, absolutely, saying we're only going to have Garoppolo throw eight times, and we're going to run however many times they ran after we lose Tevin Coleman, right? No, they did it because it was working, and they found something. And they just kept going back to it. Absolutely. All right, we we need to get out of here. We'll save Super Bowl predictions for next week since we have a two week buildup. But I do want to. I just I do want to leave with this visual because I have thought, because you did just bring this up. I do want to see a coach fly by the seat of his pants. Really? I, I think like on the sidelines, tether those guys up to some <laughs> wires, and let them just like zip lines. Let them go up and down the field. I, I don't think even really know what that fun. means, flying by the seat of your pants. I don't even know what that means anyway. I, I don't either, but I, I'm now taking so it literally. Were they wearing really, really baggy pants that I, allowed them to do that? I what think it would deal? be great. Or do it with Booger. If, if Maybe do it with Booger. He needs another gimmick, right? There are a lot of suggestions for Booger I've heard over this <laughs> yeah. past year that I don't know that we Not should Not most of them include him being on the sidelines. I'll, I'll say <laughs> yeah. that. Um, all right, well, let's, let's get on out of here. We have a little bit of baseball to talk about this week. Very little bit of baseball. Oh, I don't know about that. Oh, I don't know. Um, And uh, we'll see if we have anything else. But uh, until we come back, uh, so long, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Cowboys Ballsy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly episodes on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search the Ballsy with a Z podcast. Until next time, sports fans, we'll see you.